This is episode 46 of the Just Get Started podcast, and my guest today is the co-founder and CEO of Pendo, Todd Olson. Let's get it started. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. Excited to have you here for another episode, um, another great interview with someone that's actually uh, right in my backyard here in the Raleigh-Durham area. Um, I've been fortunate to chat with a lot of individuals from across the uh, this great world, uh, but it's always cool to talk with folks locally. Um, that's kind of you know in my neck of the woods, if you will. And I actually had Todd on uh, the short list here when I started this podcast because we do have some mutual friends, uh, but I actually never got the chance to uh, meet him and talk to him. And um, this was a great opportunity, and I was uh, appreciative that he was able to take out some time from his busy schedule. But uh, Todd is the uh, co-founder and CEO of Pendo. Um, You can check out their website, pendo.io. They do a variety of things, but I've actually used them at two different companies and you know, they, they work a lot with helping you understand user experience, you know, what's going on with users and how they're using your product and click pass and all that stuff. So it's a really tremendous product. Um, I'm not surprised that they've scaled at the rate that they have over the last uh, handful of years. But um, Todd was a great person to chat with. It was really cool to hear his journey, you know, talking about his first job from 14 all the way up to what he's doing today. Um, he shared a lot of great insight and advice that um, I know you guys will actually uh, take to heart, and uh, there'll be some great nuggets that you'll be able to take with you um, along on your journey as well. So you can check out Todd online, um, probably best LinkedIn, um, Todd Olson, last name is spelled O-L-S-O-N. Um, you can also check him out on Twitter, at T. Olson. But I'm excited for you guys to listen in on this interview and hear uh, Todd talk about his journey and all the, the experiences he's had that's led him to where he's at today. So without further ado, let's jump into my chat today with Todd Olson. Let's get it started. Todd, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining today. Thank you very much, Brian. It's great to be here. Well, I for for a lot of folks out there that don't know you, I've, I've used Pendo a couple um, on a couple different companies I've been with and obviously very familiar with the company, have some good friends that work there. You, you were on my just to let you know, I didn't let you know this before. You're on my short list of when I started the podcast a couple years ago, I wanted to speak with um, just because I really love what you guys have done with the organization there and, and the kind of the scaling of the company. So I'm excited to to talk more about Pendo and some of the things you guys are doing now. But I wanted to take a step back, as, as I always like to do, because I, I think it's always interesting, especially with entrepreneurs and, and founders of, of companies, what they did prior and kind of their upbringing, maybe how some of that shaped them to what they're doing today. So I'm curious if we could start back and go back as far into childhood as you'd like. Um, but I know you obviously have a development background and, and those type of things. Had had entrepreneurship or anything of that nature been a part of your childhood or anything you were exposed to? Or did that come way later um, in life? I'm curious if you can start there and then we'll kind of take it on some tangents. Yeah, absolutely. And and um, and, and thanks for all the, the, the kind words. Um, it, it, uh it's a real, real pleasure to be here. So, um, you know, I, I got started back in technology um, when I was uh, 14 years old. And, you know, I think, you know, I was 
uh, like a lot of teenagers, uh, tr- figuring out how to how to fill my time. And you know, my mom, like like a lot of moms, was bragging to to one of the local neighbors that I knew a lot of a lot about computers. And, and of course, you know, like put it in context. And when my mom says I know a lot about computers, that means you know I can turn it on, and I'm, I'm like more capable than she is. Which at this time, uh, of course, this is um, many years ago, and, and you know it's really the early days of personal computing, and and you know I would say that my skills were not very advanced. I mean, I was not actively programming, doing doing a lot of work, but but she certainly played it up. So she was talking to one of our neighbors, and he was working for a local bank called MBNA. MBNA is a one of the one of the largest credit card banks at the time uh, it's subsequently or since been uh, purchased by a bank of america so that's why people probably won't know the brand name today um and he um said sure well, why don't we um, look at kind of bringing him in you know hiring him so i um kind of interviewed and got a just a hourly job like a lot of people get and um you know the first like you know the first couple probably month, maybe two months, they, they kind of stuck me in this department. And I did a lot of like very menial, you know, computer tasks, lookups, um, just basic analyst work. And it was fine. You know, I like kind of liked working in an office setting, you know, I enjoyed it. Um, but then about, you know, a month or two in this gentleman grabbed me and said, Hey, I heard you're good with computers. They're wasting your talents down here. Come with me. And literally, I just followed the guy <laughs> and brought me to this, this department. He put me in front of um, a spreadsheet, a tool called 2020, which was one of their predecessors to Lotus, one, two, three, predecessor course to Excel, right? So this is like old days. And, and he had me start doing all these spreadsheets. And um, as I got used to it, I was basically doing executive level reporting for this department at this point. So they kind of moved me out of like pure data entry to this executive level reporting and spreadsheets. And then I started, um, you know, you know, if I got done early, you know, on a day, I would, um, I would start poking around. I noticed they had this macro language. I didn't know what it was, but it seemed pretty cool. I, I could kind of record what I was doing, create automation. And, um, you know, long story short, after playing around with it, I automated the entire job and uh, ended up taking some, you know, usually when I started, it took an analyst probably hours to do. I ended up getting down to a few minutes and then I had all the spare time. So then I went back to the guy that grabbed me. I was like, hey, look, I got all the spare time. So they gave me another report and I automated that. After a while of doing this, I kind of automated most of this job and they kind of ran out of things for me to do. And they dropped me in this uh, fledgling IT department. And it was just two people, um, very small, no process. And they gave me a book on C, the C programming language, Unix, SQL, and says, have at it. You know, and once you get your normal job done, from all this automation, you built spreadsheets, you know, spend the rest of the afternoon, learn as much as you can. And I did. And, you know, um, you know self-taught. You know, programming, Unix, everything, Unix system administration and database administration. And what was cool about it, while we're inside a very large bank, it felt very much like a startup. And I didn't probably know it at the time, but we were talking with customers. Our customers were internal stakeholders. We were building things. We were very agile. 
before agile was a thing you know we would put something out there we get feedback we iterate we iterate we iterate and it was an amazing amount of fun and you know that was kind of my first real business experience and and you know one of the interesting things you know it you know i said it started at 14 um you know, the bank got so you know, we got, you know, I developed a decent reputation for being very customer driven. And, you know, there were situations where they would um, send people to pick me up after school so that they would make sure I get there on time. You know, so we, we talked about having the company shuttle bus pick me up at my high school. So it, it got to be pretty, pretty interesting, but um, it, it was an amazing experience. And, and it was very scrappy. And, um, Again, very entrepreneurial, even though it was inside of a very large organization. But that was kind of my my, my first working experience, and, and you know, it happened to be building software. And I think that's a lot of what I learned about customer service, and, and um, really was formed in those early days. And I noticed doing some research, and, and tell me if I'm right on the dates or whatever. But I think it was around maybe '97 or so. Is that when you started your your first company? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I started working in 1989 and um, it, uh, around 1996, I was at Carnegie Mellon University and I was still going back nearly every summer to to work at the bank. And, and I had, um, uh, you know, they sent me away with a laptop computer and I, I still kind of consulted and went home pretty frequently. But but, you know, I think. After a while, uh, you know, um, in, in the late 90s, of course, it was the, the advent of the internet and Netscape and, and all, all those technologies started coming on the scenes and I got quite att attracted by it. It was, it was really, really interesting to me. You know, I'd, I'd been working with databases and Unix for, for honestly years and the new technology was, was super interesting. And um, I think I decided it, um, also around then that the whole notion of like working at the bank quote unquote, where I had to wear a suit every day. And, um, you know, while when I, when I was probably 14 or 15, the idea of like a, just a stable job and kind of picket fence was kind of my dream. As I got closer to seeing that dream as an adult, I realized, wow, there's a lot of bureaucracy here. And the interesting thing is by the time I was 14 to the time I was um, 20, the, the bank changed dramatically. You know, the, so it just it became a much larger company. Um, so I think in that instance, I um, it became a lot less attractive to me. So I met um, a friend at college, and he was um, starting a consulting company, and uh, I joined that him and was a, as a co-founder to be the CTO. And, and a lot of our focus was how do we how do we bring existing companies, technologies, things like databases to the internet? How do we bridge that gap? And you know, this is back in, you know, as you said, 1997, um, there were no application servers there. You know, Java was a, like a fledgling language. You know, it actually, uh, it was invented right, right around that, that period. I remember using Java 1.0 at that, that company. Um, but, um, you know, it, it, and that was right around the time I was graduating. And while offers were kind of coming in from, some of these hot Silicon Valley companies and, you know, obviously a conversation with a company like Microsoft, I, I decided to kind of just focus on starting something. I, I um, got the itch, so to speak, and, you know, told my mom and dad that, hey, um, I'm not going to um, 
joining something. I'm going to start something. And um, actually, in, in that year, I dropped down to a part-time student just so I could kind of finish out my degree and, um, you know, started started full-time uh, at what was called Vision Systems at the time, but eventually morphed into we rebranded as Cerebellum Software a year or two later. Well, and I was going to ask, what, what did that conversation with the parents um, look like? Was that a, would that echo smoothly or did they not like uh, that decision? Um, no, they didn't love it. I mean, I was on a track to get my master's degree in four years. Parents tend to like degrees. I think they're like, yeah. <laughs> so the fact that it, um, one of the consequences of me becoming a part-time student is I, I um, finished solely with a bachelor's degree, not a master's degree. And, um, while that has yet to affect my career, <laughs> it uh, um, my parents weren't in love with, with that concept at the time, and um, you know, my dad worked for like, you know a power company. My mom's a school teacher, right? So they they don't know what entrepreneurship is, but you know, honestly, they they just they've been very very supportive my entire life. So I mean, I, I will say it, it, that that's been very very helpful. So while they weren't excited, they weren't happy. They, they've they, um, you know, I've always been super supportive. And, and I'm curious too, especially, and again, whether folks are older in life or they, it's out of college or what have you, how did you, um, obviously starting a business and, and maybe out of college, you didn't have a lot of expenses. I'm not sure, but how did you go about funding the business? Like trying to grow it? Um, did, did you, ha did you save up a lot from the bank? Did you get some help? I'm, I'm just curious how you started that first business. Those are rough days, man. I mean, I, I, I ate like ramen noodles. Like I think there was one week where I ate every meal because it was cheap, and um, it was a consulting company, so we lived contract to contract. So this was you know we weren't a product company, so we 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 were just living off of whatever we could do, and we you know I was doing a lot of the work myself, both you know if my co-founder he was selling, I was implementing, and I was working all hours of all day and. We were trying to find ways to survive. I mean, I, I paid myself almost nothing, or we, we each paid ourselves almost nothing. I, I accrued um, a reasonable amount of credit card debt. I, um, yeah, I lived about as frugal as you like, as you could. I mean, there was this this restaurant in Pittsburgh um, called uh, Mad Max. It still exists, but at the time, all food after 11 p.m. was half off. So we would basically starve until 11 p.m. and go in and stock up on food, you know, because it was half off. You know, these are the kinds of hacks you do when you're um, uh, an entrepreneur and you're, you're, you're just you know, trying to be super, super scrappy. So, yeah, we, we, we didn't raise any capital at first and um, everything was bootstrapped. What, what happened to that company? Um, so so we, we eventually did uh, focus on becoming a product company. We raised capital. We built products, um, and I, I'd say, you know, looking back, we we probably didn't really ever achieve true product market fit. Um, now we kept the consulting going, so we had revenues. We had, um, you know, we built the company to a seventy-person company, but really with the product itself, I wouldn't say we ever really truly got product market fit. And um, uh, you know, I think we saw with the internet boom a number of companies kind of like us starting to get acquisitions. So we, we started down that path. We ended up getting an acquisition offer from a public company and, you know, we were in, 
So this company bridged us. They, um, you know, we, we got, you know, in which would have been a very good outcome for uh, my co-founder and I. And, um, but our board thought we were too young to negotiate it. So they, they called up an investment banker to try to get a better deal and it killed everything. So the deal fell apart. They, um, you know, my co-founder left. Um, they kept me, but I had to like terminate most of the product team. And it pivoted to going back to being a consulting company. And um, yeah, a very difficult time. A lot of lessons learned. And, you know, I personally left a, a few months after that. What was the, what was the biggest thing you think you learned from that that's helped you in, in what you're doing now? Well, I think the whole notion of product market fit wasn't in our lexicon those days. There wasn't heavy discussion. I mean, yeah, maybe some entrepreneurs intrinsically knew it, but um, I think the, the lack of product market fit was a huge lesson. And, and you know, it, it wasn't until books like Four Steps to the Epiphany, which was, you know, in my mind, the, the predecessor to the lean startup that really popularized this concept. And I think that's one of the big takeaways that, that I pulled. The other big takeaway is um, quality of investors makes such a difference. You know, we, we, you know, our board, our investors, as I said, you know, they didn't trust us because we're young, even though like, if you, if, you know, if you know, look back and I don't have all the economics memorized, but it was a really good deal. <laughs> trust me. Now, Back then, it was, a, it was, you know, a bubble, right? So, you know, while in almost every other economy, people would have just jumped at it because it was a bubble. People were kind of crazy. But the fact that they didn't trust our guts, independent of our age, it's kind of ridiculous, you know? And, the, and, you know, I think I just learned a lot about, you know, the, the quality of the investors, not just the firm, but the people are one of the one of the biggest contributors to success and um yeah it's been a it's a brutal lesson though but yeah those are the kind of two things i pulled away yeah and unfortunately yeah you, sometimes you have to go through that though which it helps you in, in future in life you just don't know it at that time it's just kind of a, a kick in the gut that sucks i know um so yeah, I wanna well, yeah. well, one more thing and i think this is important sorry i don't mean to cut you off no no go the ahead thing that when you have success at a very early age and even arguably we had we definitely had some success um and then it doesn't work out quite the way you want you always have confidence that you can do it again like doing it once and failing isn't it to me it changed my entire outlook i mean i was a changed individual after that because it's like you know i'm not sure when it's going to happen but you know this is going to work out like like i can do this again right i can at least get back to this point i probably can get past this given i'm smarter than i was before right so i think the one thing it's given me um it's given me confidence and um and that you know confidence is super powerful thing so anyway i wanted to add that no, I think that's, again, I couldn't agree more. I think that's the thing is like a lot of folks, you know, they don't want to go through the failure. They think it's going to be like, they're going to have the one hit one. They're going to all of a sudden, you know, have something that's going to spark. Sometimes it takes uh, many occasions, I guess, to get it right. And even if you do get it right, as you said, um, there's still a lot of lessons to be learned because it may not go as, as good as you think it could. So I, I agree there fully. And, and actually, maybe that's a good transition because, you know, taking that confidence forward, 
um, with, with some of the other things you were doing. Um, and and you, the co- you, you started another company, right? That got, I think, acquired by, by Rally Software. Is that right? Am I, I fact check me on that? Um, I, I Correct. Think. And, that was the second company I founded, Six Six Analytics. Um, uh, so yeah, so I mean, a- after I left my first company, I, I took a job at, at a startup and and helped scale that business. That that company was sold to Borland. I was an executive at that. Um, stayed at Borland for a bit, then started the um, uh, the second company I founded called Six Six Analytics. Um, out of out of that experience, and then we ended up, I ended up selling that company to to Rally Software at the end of two thousand and eight. So let's talk about that time and then kind of fast forward a few years, you know, getting to where you guys were um, starting Pendo. I'm kind of curious in that period of time, because one of the things I want to talk about was, you know, so you've had a couple successes, right, with with some of these earlier businesses. When did the idea, because obviously Pendo's, you know, would you agree, maybe been the biggest success, right, in terms of what you guys are uh, doing now? Right? Zero question. Right? Uh, yeah, no, there is, yeah, 100%, yeah. Yeah, so... How did that, I'm always curious is, one, how did that idea originate? Was that a, a scratch your own itch type of thing that you found you were doing and you're like, man, I gotta, there's gotta be other people that have this. How did you guys initially come up with uh, the idea for, for Pendo and yeah. the product? 100%, 100% scratch your own itch. Yeah, so it was, it was basically inspired by my time at Rally. So the, the company that I sold Six Sense to, I was the, Ultimately, became the VP of product there. I had a decent-sized team. It was a um, large enterprise software as a service application, and it was hard to get really good insights. Now people were using my product, and every once in a while, I would we would spend all this time, all this research. We build some amazing feature that we're so proud of, and then you know, months after launch, we'd find out that people weren't using it as much as as we thought, or weren't using it in the way that we thought, or you know, it wasn't quite hitting the mark that we had anticipated when we developed the business case for, and that's frustrating, right? And, and, and the first question you ask is like, well, why? Like, what's going on? You know, did we miss something? And, you know, uh, you know there's also concerns around, you know, do people even know about it that well? They know how to use it. So what's the education like, right? So there's, that. that's ultimately the inspiration. It's like, at the end of the day, I want to make sure if I'm spending my time building something, shipping something, that's delivering value to customers. And you know, you know, that that's that's core for product, right? Is that customers are getting value out of the technology that we're delivering. And if that's the case, good things will happen, right? So you know, Pendo, which is one of the common questions I get, is Latin for the word value, and and it's core to who we are as a company. It's like at the end of the day, if I'm building things, it should be delivering value back to customers. How did you uh, meet? Because there was—is there three other co-founders, right? Yep. How did, you, how did you guys meet uh, initially? Was that was that at a, a prior company or? Yep. Yeah. Well, well, um, couple. Um, yes. Yeah. So the one of the co-founders, Eric Bodick, was the co-founder of that first company. So that I went back to, we went to school together. Uh, um, so that, that first company, he, he was the co-founder. So I've known Eric. Um, for geez, now well, lots of years, <laughs> back to 1996, 1997. So, so that's how I knew Eric. Um, Rahul was um, at Six Sense Analytics Investor Core Capital Partners. So he was um, a vice president, or uh, I don't recall his exact title, but he was on their, their team. And I'd gotten to know him 
when I sold Six Sense to Rally Software. He was actually fairly helpful in the, the process there. So I got to know Rahul through that process. And then Eric Trone, uh, the third co-founder, didn't know him actually, had not worked with him. And he was introduced to me by a mutual friend who happens to be our chief marketing officer now, Jake Serafin. Um, I was catching up with Jake while I was forming Pendo. And he's like, hey, have you met Eric Trone? And I was like, heard about the guy. You've mentioned him to me. Still never met him. I've been too busy. And he's like, well, look, I mean, if you've got time now, which I did, you should just grab coffee with him. And, and um, so, of course, we got it all set up. And, and the rest is history now. <laughs> We've been working together for a bunch of years. And just just a great fit. And, you know, we kind of hit it off. He was passionate about the idea. And I think it was also a pretty pivotal moment for, for Pendo because up until that point uh, of the other founders, I'm the most technical. And so the thesis was I was, you know, I would have, you know, probably done a lot more work on the technology side. And I think bringing Eric Trone on board just completely changed the company because I, I um, while I still coded for the first 10 months, I, 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 it was clear that he was the CTO and I could, you know, I had someone I could, I could have confidence in, I could lead that while I focused on, um, you know, on the CEO role and then growing the, growing the overall business. Um, so I think it was a really, really pivotal moment for the company. It's always interesting how serendipity plays. Like if you never had that coffee with them, you know, what would have happened? That's always interesting to, to play that what if. Um, how, how did you guys uh, early on determine roles? You know, who would take certain roles in the company? Is, was that just kind of the first meeting you guys knew it? Or was there any debate there, healthy debate maybe, on, on who would kind of lead certain things? Um, you know, I, I guess there was, you know, um, there wasn't a ton, I'll be honest. Uh, maybe I had gone in this with, you know, maybe the unfair assumption that, that I was going to be the, the CEO. I think, um, you know, I, I think it's something, frankly, I wanted to do. I, I, I kind of regret not trying it earlier and, and, um, or, I, you know, you know, I, I think, you know, it's a great question. You know, I, I, there wasn't a big conversation, but it was clear that Eric Trump was going to be the CTO. <laughs> that was pretty easy. Uh, you know, um, but uh, I guess there wasn't a lot of debate. I, I guess I was the one kind of bringing the people together. So I think, you know, there was kind of that, that assumption that I was, I was the CEO. And then Eric Bodick had a marketing background and, you know, so it made him a natural choice to lead marketing. And then Rahul has always been our um, Swiss Army Knife founder, which I think is just really, really critical for a founding team. He's done a little bit of everything. He did finance and ops at first. He's running customer success. Aaron's biz dev, but he's continued to be the founder that he helps where help is needed. And that's a really valuable person to have on your team. Any encouragement or I guess advice, at least from what you've learned in your years for, for someone that if they wanted to start their own business or had some, again, a scratch your own itch type thing um, to, for going at it alone versus having a couple you know, people they trust going along with it. Do you, do you, have you seen it both ways work? Do you think it works better one way or another? I'm just curious your thoughts on that. You know, I, I, um, I think it's hard to be alone. I think it's hard. Um, now people said when we had, you know, four co-founders there that it would never work, that we'd get in some big fight that would, you run that risk. I mean, it, it gets tough. Right. And, 
and the challenge is as the company scales and the roles change, um, not every person one wants the 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 more advanced role or the 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 role in the larger company or not every person can do it right so people's roles change people's roles evolve right so you have to be pretty candid and have a good enough relationship where you can have open dialogue where look this is changing and this is what the company needs this isn't play to your strengths can you do this other thing and we've and you know we've fortunately had some of those conversations the founding team and we're still all here and they may not always be the most pleasant conversations. They may not always be the ones you want to have, but we've had some of them and we've, we've worked through it. <laughs> I'm not going to say we won't have more. I mean, we're not going to work through more, but um, I, I think it, it's worked out. But you know, in the early, early, early days, um, you know, it's hard, you know, and, and having a few people you can lean on and trust and um, consult and, um, you know, it is, is really, really valuable. And so I'm not saying you have to have um, another founder or certainly you have to have another three, but, um, you know, I, I think it's worked for us, you know, and, and um, I, you know, I, think, I, think, I think it's contributed to our success. Were there any big barriers in those early weeks or months uh, that you thought, oh my God, this thing's never going to get off the ground? Anything that, that you can share? Um, you know, no. <laughs> not, 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 not in sense of something I, I feel like I can't share, but I, nothing insurmountable. I mean, I think raising money was a little challenging. I think mean, you know we we had um, one VC very quickly raise their hands. I want to lead it, but then filling out the round was a lot harder than I anticipated it being. But I wouldn't say it was impossible. And I certainly wasn't in the position where it's going to give up. You know, I've said a few times that um, before we raised our A from Battery, I um, had a few VCs that had. Um, try to convince me to move to California. And that was frustrating. I mean, I, I remember a few times going home to my wife and saying, you know, you know, could we move? Like, what would that look like? Like, is this possible, right? You know, from our family, et cetera. And, you know, we ultimately didn't have to do that. But um, I remember that feeling hard, but again, not quite impossible. Just kind of have to persevere. But, you know, I, there wasn't any one moment where like, this thing's impossible. But uh plenty of challenging moments though <laughs> lots of ups and downs when you guys get when you and, and talk maybe you can give some insight for those folks like uh, about investing and um or getting investment um in initial seed rounds and stuff did you have a an actual product to show was it mock-ups was it just you guys in a room talking about it what, what level were you at with it to be able to get that initial seed round yeah i mean it was mostly mock-ups and um you know powerpoint some ideas um we, we had started doing some prototyping and there, there's some things in the covers but nothing visual that you could actually see so it wasn't until we actually hired um you know front-end developers that we had a, a ui or product that was even remotely sellable but um so yeah yeah i mean look seed rounds Typically speaking, I, I I believe in the good. This is my thoughts, and you know I'm sure there's plenty of seed investors that disagree with me. It, it's all about the, the people. You're investing in people in space market, so you know um, that's it. And you know our bet, I mean the real bet at the time, you know aside from just us as entrepreneurs, was um, whether there's going to be a category around product, whether that's a thing. And and you know a lot of people didn't think so, and. You know, if anything, that's probably the, one of the biggest bets we made um, that ultimately panned out. 
you know, and I, you know, we're lucky, you know, we, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, as I always say, there's, there's obviously there's some skill to this, but there's definitely some luck to it as well. And I think we're, you know, it's good timing for, um, for our, 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 our solution and, and, um, yeah. How did you guys get your first few clients? Were they was that um, easy? Was that an easy task, or were there was there some scratching and clawing to to get a few folks in the door early on? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, so we're definitely not easy. A lot of work, but you know, I, I think here's our philosophy. We started building Gen One, two thousand fourteen. We had about eighteen months of runway, and I told our board and our team, like, look, we we don't need to get revenue this year, but boy, it'd be kind of nice. But we're not going to rush it. So we started shipping product April of 2014, and we shipped nearly every week since. And at that point, I was just using my network um, to, and also other VCs that I met to intro to portfolio companies to meet VPs of product and see if we can get people to install and just try it out. So that's what we did. We would just give it away. And you know, um, from April to October, people were just you know, using the product for free, we ended up, you know, probably in that point, building it from zero to 60 or so um, beta customers, people that were using it for free. And then in October, I started asking people, hey, uh, and remember, our product, we're looking at product usage. I mean, we do that, right? So I know when someone's using the product a lot. So we started seeing a customer to spend a lot more time in the product and start using it for business decisions. We would get sent these PowerPoint decks that are like, all screenshots of Pendo. I was like, huh, well, that's interesting. They're clearly getting enough value that they're screenshotting it and giving it to people. So that, um, you know, at that point, I, you know, called up the, the VP of product for that company. He's like, hey, you know, I think you guys are using this quite a bit. Like, you think you're at a point where you're willing to pay for this? And he's like, yeah, yeah, we could do that. We are using it. And um, so I got all excited about that. And then I started working all this time on pricing and I gave him this price and um, he, he balked at it so much. <laughs> Humbled me, brought me back down to reality. Um, regardless, we ended up getting the deal done and um, uh, that was it. First paying customer. That, that's really, that's really neat. Um, well, so let's talk about from that first, obviously customer to where you guys are today. Talk about scaling um, and Obviously, there's a lot of things we can talk about this. I'm just curious, maybe the the things you've learned the most over the last few years in terms of scaling the business, really how, how much you guys have, moving into the new headquarters, those type of things. What are some of the things you've learned maybe that might be important for others that are maybe haven't got to that point yet or, or, or looking to start companies or whatever? Um, first, foremost, talent, people. Um, by far, one of the most important things. You know, I... I um, we have really good people and we work hard to have really, really good people. And, um, you know, I, I think building a culture that attracts good people and, and then and investing in them and then continuing to set your bar very, very high has been probably our, our biggest lever. You know, if anything, we've done well, we've set a very, very high bar and, and people, comment on all the time and i'm just super proud of the team so i think that's probably number one and, and we've managed to convince you to work here you know you know, maybe they're taking 
um, what would on paper look like a lesser role or like less, like smaller title, but they just want to be here because it's, they're working with other good people and they believe in the mission. And, um, and, and that's what we're looking for. I mean, we, I think the company with the best talent wins. So I'm constantly focused on finding the best possible talent. It is, I still interview nearly every person in the company. I invest an incredible amount of my time on talent. And because um, I think it's one of the biggest um, opportunities to leverage we have, period. That's number one. Number two, is it's um, focusing on the customer. And this is a hard one as you scale, right? We, we have a lot more customers than we originally did. And, and we have, you know, I'm several levels removed from most of those customers, right? So making sure they have a great experience and, and, and like not settling for average, you know, is really, really important to me. And, and I'm, I'm not saying we're perfect all the time and I'm not saying we don't have challenges, um, but I can say that, that um, it matters and we're not gonna rest until we deliver the, the quality of service that we know we can. And, and I think customers deserve from us. So I think, yeah, that, I think those are the two things, um, those are the most important. And, and um, I guess, well, maybe the third that, that's ob maybe obvious because of who Pendo is, but we're, we're obviously a product led business. You know, um, uh, I, I, you know, it, we don't want to just have like the best sales team or best marketing team. I want the best product. Right, and, and actually, for, for, for years, uh, a number of people would say, "Wow, you undermarket your product." And while it's probably not a good thing, by the way, um, I'd rather have that than overmarket, right? Because I've heard that about plenty of other companies, and no, no one said that about that. No, that that oh, we we say that we do too much. No, if anything, we we're way too humble about what our product's capable of, and, and that's by design. And um, a decent percentage of my time is focused. On the product side of the business, I still spend a lot of time just looking at roadmaps, talking to team, brainstorming ideas. That's our biggest leverage, you know, as well. You know, after people, um, I would say, you know, our, our second biggest leverage is, is the quality of our product. And, and um, yeah, I mean, yeah that, that's core to who we are. So, Well, and I'm curious your thoughts, a couple of few things to, to end on. Um, you know, about leadership, I mean, obviously you mentioned early on, like, Hey, I, you know, that my intention was to, to be a CEO and, and kind of uh, be in that position, in the company, obviously you're very involved. You mentioned in terms of interviewing and product and all that stuff, you're, you're not up in the ivory tower, you know, you're out down there kind of with everyone. How did you, did you, did you learn to be a great leader? Were there things, you know, mentors you had books you read, what, what kind of over the years um, made you better and better at becoming a, a leader of the organization, but just in general, uh, working with the people? Oh, I mean, look, I'm absolutely shaped by all the prior leaders I've had, frankly, good and bad. And you know, you, you kind of form your leadership style over time. I mean, I, I, I have been a bit fortunate that I was leading teams at 21, right? And, and I was not probably the best leader back then. I actually was probably a, a crazy person. And, and, and like, yeah, I was, I was way too aggressive back then. I mean, I, I was completely raw and, and, um, had no idea what the hell I was doing. So, um, so I'm, you know, at least, at least I'm, I, I've had enough experience where you know, I haven't been leading teams for a while. So I think that that does help. So I've learned a little bit just through trial and error of what works and what doesn't work. Um, but then I've also, you know, I've seen good leadership. I think uh, one of the things I pulled away from, you know, the rally experience 
And, and that's also, by the way, you know, I, I've not just started companies, but I've worked at companies as an executive. And what that's given me is an opportunity to be in a management team and see how someone else does it. And I've learned a lot from those experiences. And I think those have fundamentally shaped me. And I, you know, people tell me, well, could you work for someone, someone else? Yes, I can. And I have, right? And, and I think, I, I don't think I'd be the, the CEO I am today if I hadn't had those experiences and take a lot from it. And yeah, I've had some bosses that I didn't enjoy and I've had some bosses I have. But I, again, the, those have shaped me. You know, I think part of that too is, is um, I invested a decent percentage of my time um, spending time with other CEOs and asking them how they do it and hearing stories. And, you know, I, I get fortunate through our VC network. I get invited to CEO conferences and I hear talks and I, 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 I invest in that. You know, I, I, um, you know, I, for those who don't know, I, I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. I mean, there aren't a lot of CEOs in Raleigh, North Carolina that have, um, you know, companies like Pendo. There just aren't. There's pure numbers. There aren't a ton, right? So in order to get a lot of these relationships, and I mean, I have to fly. I usually have to go places, whether it's New York City or usually the Bay Area. And there's times where I'll do a day trip to the Bay Area just to learn from other CEOs, despite the fact that it's kind of painful on my body. And I've even gotten to a point where I get so much out of it, my wife will even encourage me to go to some of them. And she'll say, hey, you know, I'll hear about some event that maybe one of our investors is putting on. And I'll say, you know, somebody, you know, don't really want to travel this week. Don't want to be away from you and the kids. And she'll say, don't you get a lot out of that? Don't you come home energized? Don't you learn a lot? And I was like, yeah, I do. She's like, you need to go. Just go. So, um, so you know, obviously having a supportive spouse is a helpful thing. But um I, I think that investment um, is is um, probably one of the things that, that helps me. So I, I get a lot of out of that. I'm curious, and in, in terms of your day to day, as you mentioned, you're you're involved in a lot of different stuff. You're you're moving all around a lot. Is there certain you know daily habits you have or routines that you have to stay consistent with to kind of stay sane? Anything that you kind of deliver each and every day to yourself to make sure um, you're getting the most out of it. You know, I, I don't, I'm not big on daily habits. I'm big on weekly habits. So, um, you know, so like our, like our management meetings and all that sort of thing. Like we have very disciplined cadence around the week, the quarter, the month, um, set time, set schedules that I can like literally, like I'll never be on a plane during our management meeting. I'm just not, <laughs> you know, I, I don't miss it. Anywhere in the world, I go to that, right? So like I'm pretty disciplined about a variety of things like that. As far as my day goes, because of the nature of the travel and everything else, there is no there is no set thing. Um, um, when I'm home in Raleigh, I, I do uh, bias towards having dinner with my family. That's probably one of the few things I, I try very hard to do, but it's, it's not a given, you know. Uh, um, but the interesting thing is because I try to do that, um, we often have people over the house like if I have a guest from out of town or someone you know visiting you know whether it's someone we're trying to even recruit I have them over the house for dinner you know it may be like one of 10 dinners I have my family that month and you know I'm going to still do that but I'll have the person over right so I think um, that's kind of one of the more unique things probably about our culture that, that I've done since founding and still still do it today I had six people in my house last night just as an example for for dinner and and 
it was nice. It was actually really, really chill and um, a good event. But uh, no, I think, I think that, that is the big things. I mean, I do have other cadences. You know, I, I um, do a 90-day one-on-one with every employee. And it's hard. I mean, you know, the, we have, you know, 312 employees as of today. So, you know, any given, like today I did one. Average week I do three or four, sometimes five. I get a lot out of it, you know, it's a way for me to check in and, and, um, you know, learn out ways we can improve, improve the company. So like those are just some of the things that I do to kind of keep, keep some, you know, regular habits and check in. What would be, uh, and, and you could take a few seconds to think about this if you have to, but what's one thing some like people would be surprised to know about you that maybe you don't share often or you never share, like what would be something people would be surprised about? Oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm that interesting, Brian. <laughs> I'm just a normal guy. I don't know. Like, uh, I, I don't think, uh, um, yeah. It's a tough question. Yeah, I, mean, I know I put, you, I put you on the spot with it. You can think about it, get back to me, and I can share it with everyone after if you if you want. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, um, I can't. I'll, I'll ask my, I'll ask some people that know me to see if there's anything surprising about me. Um, there, but uh, yeah, no, I think I'm, um, yeah. yeah. Well, so let, let's end on this then is a kind of open form for yourself and you can take this in whatever direction you want, but I always like to kind of leave your opportunity to remember it. Maybe it's a quote you live by or a, a piece of advice like you love anything to share with uh, the listeners on just, you know, maybe something to kind of get them energized or motivated or, or kind of maybe jacked up to whether it's get on their own to do something or just in everyday life. Is there, is there something you would share with them as kind of a lasting impression um well that's a good question as well um the first thing that came to mind i I don't like to say this every day in my life but it's something i do think about is is um this is a quote i forget who's attributed to but always make new mistakes and you know what i love about that is um one it's permission to make mistakes we're all going to make mistakes and if anything i've made hundreds of mistakes um but i try really hard not to make the same twice and you know, so if we're going to make mistakes and we're going to encourage people to make mistakes, you know, we also encourage people to learn. And what are you going to do differently based on making this mistake and how are you improving? And, and this is a this is a core to, to kind of my, my philosophy and, and uh, uh, you know, big believer as part of that in, in taking feedback and giving feedback. So, I, you know, I think, you know, that, that's, you know, getting and taking feedback is a skill. And something that I work work pretty hard, on making sure I always want to make it not just give feedback but take it. But um, you know, you know, say that the thing that when I get most upset, most angry, um, it's usually at myself when I make a mistake a second time like that. Whew, I'm pretty hard on myself, so uh, I get pretty down. But um, as long as I'm not doing that, usually I'm in pretty good mood, and, and uh, <laughs> things are working pretty well. So. This has been an absolute pleasure. This has been awesome to chat with you and really learn a lot. And uh, and I'm glad you were able to come on and uh, and share your journey with everyone. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Brian. Thanks a lot. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed that interview. And one more quick thing before you head off on your day. If you don't mind, head over to iTunes. Leave me a review. Let me know how I'm doing. I certainly appreciate the feedback. It only is going to make this podcast better each and every episode. As always, you guys can find me online, uh, brianondraco.com. That's B-R-I-A-N. 
B-R-Y-A-N-O-N-D-R-A-K-O, as well as on Instagram or Twitter, at Brian Andreco. Thanks again for listening in. I hope you guys have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll see you soon. Take care. Yeah.